Hello, and welcome to the Acolytes of Merlin. Today, we will be discussing Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. And with me today are Tim. Hey, everyone. And Matthew. Hello there. And Austin. That's me. So, I figured we could start there. There have and right, so first spoilers about for the entirety of all of the live action Star Wars movies. We will probably stick mostly to episodes one through seven, and but at a few times might touch on eight and nine. I think we're going to start with a discussion about what were people's feelings or thoughts going into the movie. So Disney, I think the acquisition uh, was announced that Disney had acquired Lucasfilm and all the very, everything that comes with that in 2012, I believe, uh, and that there would be new movie, Star Wars movies in 2015. So what were people's uh, initial feelings or thoughts, either either when they heard about the announcement or going into the movie when you saw it? for the first time because this is really special well i was hyped i was hyped as shit um uh of course i'm like all y'all i've been a star wars fan since i was a kid and i just wanted more i never had a chance to see anything in theaters though so the fact that i was going to be able to do that got me very pumped up so i kind of went in with rose-colored glasses the first initial time um and i wasn't like scared of it being bad at all i was just too excited and was ready for it to be good yeah i think there was the hype surrounding this movie um one i think i mean just hearing there were going to be new movies especially the only movie i saw in theater star wars movies before this was revenge of the sith and as i've mentioned in the last podcast because that got the dreaded pg-13 rating i had to read the young adult novelization before I was actually allowed to go see it. So I'd never gone into a Star Wars movie. You were just completely blind with a blank slate, uh, ready to be surprised and, um, you know, just have that experience. Um, so, and then also I think just masterful marketing, um, driving the hype up for this movie, uh, to a fever pitch before release. I'm going to agree. I was incredibly excited for this. Um, you know, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about the trailer and, you know, how, how I joked, like I'd seen it at least three dozen times. And I think, um, I don't remember who said like, Oh, that's it. I think the trailer was, it was magnificent and it, it gave you enough expectation. The scene, uh, in the forest with the snow with Finn holding the lightsaber, having no idea, um, who really he is or how he has a lightsaber. Uh, the scene of the Millennium Falcon, one, just being there, two, kind of soaring through, um, the remnants of a Star Destroyer. Seeing the Star Destroyer in a desert planet, um, most people probably assuming it was Tatooine. Like, it, it had so much in the trailer that lended itself to the hype and that trailer did everything correct um and i think because of that i had very high expectations as well yeah i'm echoing pretty much what everyone has said i i was super stoked when the announcement was made i i never thought that i would get more star wars it was my it was my favorite movie series at the time Uh, that has changed uh, overall but um but yeah, I was super excited. Uh, I remember thinking, but I remember thinking, oh no, we have to wait three whole years. <laughs> um, yeah, which which felt like an like an interminable amount of time. And it was uh, all I talked about for those three years. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, and like what Tim was saying. The, the trailer, I, I also that was, I definitely, I cry, I definitely cried when Chewie and Han showed up in the first, uh, and I think it's, I forget which trailer, but when they, the first time they show up on the Falcon, I think the line is like Chewie for home. Uh, I think that's the line, but that I, I, you, you, you mess it up a little bit. It's Chewie, hold for applause, hold for applause, we're home. Um. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's you know, I okay, I think the the, the movie has a the, the okay, this we're going to be having a lot of meta discussions uh today. The movie is centered around a lot of those pause hold for applause moments. <laughs> yeah, lots of uh, callbacks. Yeah, not in a bad way, but just that's that's what the movie's doing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and I I think that this was probably the most excited I was ever going into a see a new movie. I think the last Same. Jedi was close, but but this has to take the cake. No, nothing nothing beat the atmosphere. If I may go into the story of the first time I saw this movie. Um, yes. here for a second. Um, so I got uh, very lucky. I got to see it one day early um, at the Fort Worth uh, Science Museum, which has one of those big omni-dome theaters that, you know, it's a massive dome, 360-degree screen. Um, so, you know, it's a day early. Everybody there is decked out in Star Wars gear. People are in costume. Uh, they pack this theater full um, I'm like a little kid in the sea with like a massive bucket of popcorn and soda. Um, and the way that Omni Theater did it, they uh, they always did this little thing where they take you on this somewhat POV helicopter ride around Fort Worth. I remember I'd been seeing it ever since I was a little kid going on field trips there. Um, and then right after that, um, the lights just went down, you know, complete pitch black. And, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm ready for the trailers. And then we just see the Lucasfilm uh logo up on the screen and everybody kind of like the whole theater just murmurs like wait hold on no no trailers no nothing we're just going right for it and then you know a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and you start to hear the woo yeah and then when the fanfare started the way that theater erupted um just cheering everybody going nuts uh it's something that is i've never seen replicated in a movie theater um and it, it was that way the entire way through. It was, you know, when, when Han came onto the scene, or even before that, when we first see the Falcon, the cheers, you know, Han comes in, everybody's cheering, everybody's clapping, um, you know, and just going through that, you know, experiencing that. I think ultimately, and why this movie, I would say, is my second favorite of all the Star Wars movies uh, behind Just a New Hope, is this experience, that memory, which is... You know, for one moment, and it was like, just in the theater, it was like, oh my god, we're not going to do what we did to the prequels to these movies. We're all just going to love them and enjoy them. And that lasted about the car ride home until I checked Twitter. But (laughs) (laughs) for one glorious moment, it's like, this is the best of Star Wars and the best of the Star Wars community. And, you know, like, it's already nostalgia. It wasn't that long ago. But, you know, that memory will live with me forever. Um, as just one, like probably the greatest Star Wars experience I've ever had. Little did we know that it it, it might not have been the best of the Star Wars movie. It, it also wasn't. Uh, it also wasn't the worst either. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty magical first viewing. Yeah, that's awesome. And I I think going off of that with uh this what being the first Star Wars movie since the prequels I think they a lot of the movie is a reaction to that yes in that a lot of the prequel among the many criticisms of the prequels at least popular culture wise was they were too complicated or they were boring or like it it's like it felt a lot of it felt like stilted and not fun. And this one is the, the, the almost in response to the more complicated plots of the prequels. They, they went very simple with the plot, uh, super safe. Uh, they, uh, decided that they liked a new hope so much that they would make it again. Uh, yeah, but not not in a as a entirely a bad thing. But uh, but but I do remember thinking, oh, getting into the theory crafting, and oh well, what could what new stuff could they do with this this story that takes place after Return of the Jedi? And then it, it I mean, I remember 
really enjoying it, but also it, thinking, oh, well, it kind of was just a new hope with a fresh coat of paint and bits of Empire Strikes Back uh, thrown in there. So so I'm going to uh, push then, back on that a little bit cuz I've I've had this conversation with people in the past uh someone who who very much hates Force Awakens because of that reason uh which I think is a very um um inelegant way of of criticizing a movie because so many movies outside of just science fiction fantasy Star Wars just cinema in general is a redux of something else um I think there are definitely similarities, but I think it separates itself enough from A New Hope that it's less a fresh coat of paint and more we took the the foundation and built something new upon it. Um, now, yeah, you have your golden trio um, and you have, you know, two male characters and a female character. I think how the characters came together is, is different enough. I think the circumstances they were in were different enough. I feel as though, um, the, the empire or first order, um, was, was presented different enough as well that, yeah, there are similarities, but, um, to, to say it's just a redux or it's the same thing over again is, is oversimplifying it and kind of going for the cheap, cheap knock against it and that's that's fair i'm uh, i'm mostly yeah and that's fair i now to be clear this this is my favorite of the new trilogy Mm. uh not of all the disney movies but of the new trilogy i'm with you there and but i and i i don't think it's i don't like i think structurally it is it hits so it's I, like the I, story I, and the plot are pretty much a new hope, but then the pieces that are glued into there, all the different characters and the different setups are what make it a little unique. Like we've never seen a turncoat stormtrooper, um, things like that. Kylo Ren is a pretty unique character when you get down to it, um, compared to the new hope. So I think that's kind of how it differentiates itself is the, uh, the parts, the pieces, but overall, like the story and plot are pretty much a new hope. Like I, I can't deny that to push back on Tim, just a tiny little bit. Uh, if it's like a scale, um, a spectrum, I think it leans more toward the copy, just a little bit more than the building block thing. Personally. And I think there, some of the things, you know, do line up. I think Ray being analogous to Luke being, oh, I'm an orphan. I'm on a desert planet. I definitely, you know, want something more. Uh, I think they're different enough in that Ray wants to stay where she is and doesn't want to get involved. And Luke very much wants to get off of the desert planet, wants to be part of something bigger. Um, I think that's kind of like the the biggest comparison that people make is like, oh, Ray is just Luke all over again. Um, I, I think then the three characters coming together and storming the Death Star slash um, Starkiller base. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't deny that one. Um, but I, I also feel as though, you know, enough happened in between. Um, but I, I also feel as though, like, you're, you're not incorrect. I think at, at that point, it really is more of a, a, you know, what is your criteria for being too similar? Uh, and, you know, mine might be, hey, these elements mean one thing and your elements mean another. And neither one of us are incorrect. Yeah. I, I think that's a good point. I, that Ray and Luke are different enough. Ray is pretty resistant to her destiny, however you want to think of that, yeah. until pretty close to the end of the movie. Uh, like, even when they're on... I forget... Uh, I forget when, but she's still... Yeah, oh, yeah, even in, in, in Maz's castle, she still wants to go just run away from it all, whereas by that point in A New Hope, Luke's all in. Luke uh, was all in pretty much from the beginning. Yeah. He, he got handed a lightsaber, and he was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do this. Right. Yeah, like... Um, yeah, and I, yeah, the, the only, and honestly, it doesn't really bother me that much for what the movie's doing, like the, the similarities between it and A New Hope. 
The only the main one that does though is just Star Killer Base. Yeah. That's the that's the main one that like actually kind of annoys me because I'm like, okay, this is the only part that actually feels kind of lazy. So, so I, I want to interrupt very quickly. Um, so I'm a big fan of Force Awakens. I think it is a great movie. I think there are a lot of flaws that it has, but we could nitpick if we really wanted to, um, you know, um, Empire Strikes Back, which, you know, I personally think is one of the greatest movies of all time. You can still find flaws. Uh, but I do need to say, did anyone else just think Starkiller Base was silly? Like, yeah, for me, like yeah. that, that required a little bit too much suspension of disbelief. Where it's like, wait, so you destroy a sun and then you shoot a laser beam faster than light that we can see from the deck of Star Destroyer um, to blow up a planet? Like, that is needlessly complicated. Uh, but the shots are cool. They the are, shots yes. are gorgeous. Like, that, that shot in the trailer of Kylo Ren from the deck watching that beam, like in the trailer, you're like, what is that? Um, but in execution, I, I, I feel as though that is probably the one thing that, that I, I watch Force Awakens and I cringe just a little bit. Yeah. That, and I would say that's the only, that is probably the only cringe moment. Uh, and, Especially because when, you know, when the Death Star destroys Alderaan in A New Hope, that's like a big, there's impact to that. It's like, oh, well, that's, that's number one. That was the destination that our heroes are heading towards. Number two, and it's Leia's home. We don't know any of those systems that the Starkiller base destroys other than that they are the New Republic, which we yeah. haven't seen at all. So I've no like I I I've made these emotional connections to Ray and Finn and Han and Chewie, but I, I but what what at least what initially the Empire, uh, Empire the First Order does with Starkiller Base doesn't have any as much like emotional impact for our characters as it does yeah yeah, yeah even like feels like they're overcompensating with it because it's so needlessly large and it's like they're trying so hard to be intimidating but then they just blow up a bunch of no-name people that we have no connection to so it actually has a lesser impact to the death star which is supposed to be so much greater than which is a major flaw of that conflict in the film in my opinion and and you saying that i feel cuz i i agree i wonder if they could have re re um written it or re um framed it to where kylo ren is just like yeah i know that i'm inferior to the death star but i'm just going to shoot at anything because i'm a petulant child i feel as though that could have given better character arc to kylo and kind That's of a really, really cool idea yeah like really built like up that. like he he is just this angry lost boy who has now gone and you know is is an adult but is just trying to find his way and so he's just like you know what i'm going to build something like this and look how awesome i am um yeah i think that could have and and again that would have been 5 seconds 10 seconds of dialogue boom you're done yeah i like that i was going to say they could have even just blown up jakku and have Ray react to that mm -hmm. in some way. That could have been interesting as well, but your idea is really cool. I like that a lot. Now, I do think blowing up Jakku and having the female lead, uh, you know, of the Golden Trio react, <laughs> that would have been definitely a lifted from New Hope. True. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, true. Uh, I think that, well, th that's a better fix than I could have thought of. The it does lead into a discussion about that. So they made the decision to make the plot pretty simple, which I overall think works very well for what they did with the movie. But we could have gotten more context, and because the New Hope doesn't really give you a ton, but even that line that Palpatine or Palpatine that Tarkin makes about the Senate being dissolved. That's that. And some of the dialogue with Leia and Vader gives us enough context about the general state of the galaxy uh, for us to connect with it. 
Whereas we don't really get that other than we don't really get any sort of context with that. Maybe not any, but very little context for the larger political landscape. Um, which again, that might also be a very much reacting to the prequels. We don't want to get bogged down in these uh, quote-unquote boring details. And I don't think they even needed a ton, like kind of similar to what you were saying with getting an extra like five, like an extra five minutes of di- or ten, five minutes of dialogue could have done enough with that. I, I agree with that, and I agree getting too much into the backstory was would have made the movie clunky. But I, I also agree, like, I think for Force Awakens, what we saw of Snoke and what we were given of Snoke was definitely enough. I didn't need to know more. I just know, all right, here is this mysterious figure who probably is Force-sensitive, who is now a mentor to Kylo Ren and is leading the, the First Order um, and, you know, is, is, you know, a mentor to Hux. Um, but I, I did want to at least know a little bit more of, okay, it's only been 30 years. How did we make a complete and total pendulum swing without anyone kind of addressing that and giving that to the audience? Yeah, I agree. That was missing in the film. And Especially when it's just the empire. But again, sorry, go ahead. Well, I think it's like all we get is is like Hux's speech when they're, which is there is a new republic and we're going to blow it up and then it's blown up and that's the end of it. Um, and then for some reason, I guess that puts them in charge because they blew up the other guys. Um, but they do. I, it did feel like a very point to, like a very obvious point that yeah, we're going to get rid of the politics stuff. There was a new republic. Now they're gone, um, and that's it. And I think maybe part of why I don't love how they did it is since they've tried to fill in all that information and all of in all of this different content and other media like the books and like the comics and some and some a little bit with the tv shows but i so clearly they they're it's almost like they're retroactively saying well yeah we could have done a little more of that um but I think in general, the whole vibe of this movie is, you know, as much as I love it, it is a safe movie. And I think especially when you think of it in the context of this is the beginning of a new era, you know, and it's safe, but it's also fun. It doesn't want to bog itself down on, I would say, in general, heavier topics. It wants and it is much more action packed. Like if you compare the pacing of this movie versus, you know, A New Hope. A New Hope, I mean, minus the opening scene, we don't get more action, more real action for another 30 minutes. Here, we got, you know, chase scenes, uh, dogfights, you know, battles going on all the time, uh, which I think is a very intentional choice for the first movie of the, you know, new era of Star Wars. Um to focus, I don't want to say focus less on plot, but more on excitement, action, just get people reinvested in the, into this franchise. Oh yeah, and I, I've I've spent a lot of this podcast so far on the on the criticism side, but I really really enjoy watching this movie. Uh, the like to your point, all the stuff on Jakku, like the I, as I'm watching it, I kept thinking to myself, oh. Well, the the Falcon escape from Jakku is the most is visually the coolest scene in the uh, movie, and then we get to Maz's castle, and I'm like, oh no, actually this is visually cool with that tracking one shot of Poe that looks awesome, or just seeing more in atmosphere combat, and then the climax. I'm thinking, oh, well, actually no, this is like looks the coolest and most fun part when you have with the how how they. Uh, do different things with the lighting and Starkiller Base. So it's a there's a lot of really at least visually things throughout the film that keep you very engaged. Yeah, I think all the action scenes are incredibly well done and engaging. Uh, like every single one, to their credit, um, all the fight scenes, all the flying scenes. It's they're beautiful to look at and watch and exciting. They keep the tension up. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I was going to say uh, to go along with that to kind of uh, start alluding to the the subsequent uh, episodes eight and nine. Um, 
these action sequences, I, I agree with everything you were saying. Like they were amazing. Whereas the, the next two movies that the, they were kind of weak. Um, and it, it's interesting to where the first in the, you know, the pre or the sequel trilogy has some of the best action sequences, probably not intentional when they were drafting everything, I think reinforces it as, you know, a really great film in comparison to the following two. Um, but yeah, like I greatly enjoy watching those action sequences. Um, I, I think one thing that makes the action sequences great, which is similar to the action sequences in the uh, original trilogy, is the character dialogue and what's happening with the characters. Because a lot of character development happens in those action sequences. Um, when when Ray and Finn are escaping from Jakku, and they're like, I I don't know how to use some guns. I, I, do you know how to fly this thing? And they're like figuring things out. Like they're building a rapport, but they're in character. And it's very similar to um, when um, the Millennium Falcon is escaping um, in New Hope. And like, they've got some TIE fighters like tailing them. And Luke's just like, all right, like I'm going to start shooting some things, you know, you know, great shot kid. Now don't get cocky. Like, in yeah, the I completely agree scenes. with you there. Um, but it also it that character development, those actions are adding to the action. Oh yeah, and I well, and I, I shout out to I mean at least in this watch, like Finn has great, and maybe this is also just a plus for John Boyega. Finn has great chemistry with everyone he has kind of more major relationships with like his chemistry with daisy ridley's great his scenes with oscar isaac are great the, the he has some really funny scenes with han yeah and i think yeah he he in general like has just really good chemistry with the other cast members uh and like you said it's 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 woven into like the, it, it's not like they're sit they're standing around and now we're gonna have the relationship building scene it happens organically as they're doing other stuff. And to go back to the action scenes real quick, if I may, uh, one thing I want to touch on is that they're all very like creative and unique. Everything from like the Falcon driving to through the star destroyer is just cool. And something that hasn't really been done before. Um, the high fighter escape with Poe and Finn, um, where they're, um, cabled to the wall is very exciting and again something different that we hadn't seen before um, Kylo Ren freezing a blaster bolt in place is probably the coolest thing I've ever seen in a theater ever uh, so I just I appreciate the creativity when it comes to the intense action scenes and moments of the film that's all I wanted to say about that I also, um, you, you mentioning John Boyega and I agree with that a hundred percent. Um, I felt Daisy Ridley's performance was, it was a joy just to watch her on screen. Um, because she, she's really good. <laughs> she is, but she also like is consistent. Like her character is, is very well developed, but she, she's running the gamut of emotions. Uh, I, I think my favorite scene is when, um, she's talking with Finn. Uh, about trying to repair the Falcon. And she's like, hand me that. Nope, that. No, no, no. Like in that scene, she's frustrated, but she's frustrated because she's so used to like, she knows it and she has someone getting in her way. And she's like trying to convey something that is like so basic to her. And she's, she doesn't know how to work with someone who isn't on her level in that regard. Uh, so like her independence is shown. Um, but then, you know, later on in the movie, when she is being interrogated by Kylo Ren and she gets that level of like immediacy of, whoa, we're on the same level, like immediately everything comes down and she's super vulnerable and you can see that. Um, but then also seeing like, oh, I've got this force thing and she's, I don't want to say she's immediately comfortable, but you can see in her mind, she's like, I'm going to push the boundaries on this. And like her facial expressions as she's doing that convey, you know, Hey, like, all right, let's see what I can do. Um, I, I just, again, just a brilliant, brilliant performance by her. Yeah. yeah just to, I, I mean, I feel like she, her performance in general, and I would say almost it's all the, the entire new trio. I think they were all great. I think Daisy Ridley in particular with Ray, something I think she doesn't get enough credit for is really, like you said, being consistent and being thought out and understanding the character. And I think this is something that you see 
I feel you see throughout uh, the three movies she's in. Um, I think one of the unfair criticisms that gets levied at Ray is this idea that she's like a Mary Sue or that, you know, she's too powerful, that everything just works out for her. But you really look at it. There's a lot of subtlety to the performance um, when she's, you know, when she gets in the, the duel with Kylo Ren at the end, you know, one of the criticisms I've seen a lot is that she's, oh, there's no way she should be able to take on Kylo Ren. But when you really look at it, she's not particularly great with a lightsaber. It really has more to do with, um, again, another subtle filmmaking technique. They draw attention to how powerful the bowcaster is throughout the movie. And then when Kylo Ren gets wounded by it, and one, impressive to his strength to be able to take that shot and keep going, but also he's severely wounded by the time he's fighting Rey and Finn. Um, but there's a subtlety to it. She doesn't look proficient with the lightsaber, but she has talent. Yeah, um, and she was losing in the first half of that fight. Yeah, it's until she kind of really like lets go and taps into the Force. Um, and lets the force guide her actions that she begins to take control of the fight. I just think that it's, she is very consistent and the writing is very consistent with somebody who is awakening to their powers. Um, and I think that's something that gets overlooked too much, how well done that was. And going off of that, um, I mean, there's nothing to be said that, uh, any movie, let alone a Star Wars movie, can't have a character who, hey, you're discovering these powers. Oh, and by the way, you're like amazingly good without any training. Like, why can't that be a thing? Yeah, I, I do. I generally like I like 90 percent agree with everything that you're everyone's saying. I do think it's a there's a little bit of the Mary Sue with. Her tech, so like the the Jedi mind trick moment with the stormtrooper, who I believe is Daniel Craig. Yes. It is the, Daniel Craig. Yeah, I his, think that's him. His trooper designation is JB zero zero seven. That's good, and and I believe that is canon. Looks um, funny. Um, but yeah, I I think that's the one moment where I'm thinking, okay, you wouldn't. How would you know? How would you even think of that? Yeah, right. How would you know that this is a thing you can do? Um, it's not something I really care that much about. Uh, well, okay, counterpoint. But, um, okay. she did just have a force interrogation with Kylo Ren, and you could say that's kind of just an extension of that. That's true. That that's true. That's true. Although that's a little, I'm going to use the word softer, like soft magic. Of uh, the force interrogation is more like what she, just how what she does with the fight. With Kylo, where she's not really, she's not using specific techniques per se. It's just sure. an extension of her. But uh, yeah, but it doesn't really bother me that much. I just wanted to point it out. Um, but yeah, in general, it's not really the, the Mary Sue thing. Is not. It, it, it's not. It, it doesn't. It's not really a, a thing. It's not a hundred percent accurate. I think she's a little too good of a pilot. I don't see how someone who has never left her home planet can be so darn good flying a ship she's never flown before. Um, but it doesn't bother me too much, and that's like that's for me is the one thing that is a little too far. Um, but I can be forget it can be forgiven. It's a children's adventure movie, you know. Um, so. And she does mess up during the film. I wrote down times where she messes up explicitly. Yeah, so no, that's, that's true. I do. So on the pilot thing, I did think of that. Like, why would she be a great pilot? That is one thing in particular that I feel like could have been explained with her backstory, like where she comes from and information that she might have had during this movie that the audience didn't. Yeah, because there was an explanation in uh, I don't remember exactly where this is. She had a flight simulator in her ATAT um oh. homestead. Yeah, I don't that was not in the movie. I don't remember where I read that, but that is from I think there's a I think it was from a book, uh a tie in book that came out after the movie. But she did have some kind of flight simulator. That's where she learned to fly. But like you said, Daisy Ridley probably knew that. J.J. Abrams probably knew that. 
the audience didn't know that. Um, yeah. It kind of seems like it, it kind of, I think the book like had something like she'd be wearing those, like you see her wearing the rebel helmets when she's eating. Like she'd just be doing that, doing a flight simulator, which is, definitely isn't something I do playing squadrons. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so there is a, and it's like, that's just such a little, and you know, time well, constraints, budget, but it's like little thing you could have slipped, slipped in there because you already knew it and it's a very logical explanation um i agree i had a slightly more simple take where like her actual backstory like maybe she wasn't always on jakku or who her where she comes from or her lineage maybe those things could explain it but um given where the trilogy goes the certainly didn't know any of that or certainly didn't agree on that so i uh there, there definitely is a general and this is something dave filoni talks about when he talks about writing star wars is an intentional vagueness to things you don't need and that's at least for the filoni stuff and i assume that probably extended to the movies which is if you don't really have to fill something in don't because you don't want to cut off somebody else in the future um and, and that's and I think especially at the dawn of the new era, I would imagine they probably adopted that philosophy um, to a somewhat extreme degree. Oh, and for this movie, it doesn't really bother me at, uh, much at all. It, it's, it's, that's more of a next two movies discussion. I, I think it totally <laughs> works for this. How, how, what do we think of Kylo as a villain, as the antagonist? I love Kylo. I think he's fun. Uh, I think he's a unique take on a Sith. Uh, he is kind of like just a brat, a whiny brat. But having that in the role of a super powerful villain is scary and cool. And um, actually, I wanted to touch on the introductions to all these characters because that's a big role of the movie, setting up the rest of the trilogy. And Kylo's intro in particular is very memorable. It's what I think of when I think of The Force Awakens. When he comes down, he's invading this small village, um, freezes that blaster bolt in place, and just mercilessly, merciless words, uh, just kills everybody without remorse. It's, and then when he's later on trying to live up to the biggest villain of all time, I, I think he's really well written in this movie, and I really like it. And I think Hux is a really good foil for him because you've got Hux who career military, who um, is more concerned with performing well and getting respect and getting advancement from performing well and working hard. And his resentment towards Kylo is very apparent without ever needing anything to be said. So I think Kylo as a character and as an, that unique antagonist of like, I'm a powerful whiny brat um, is, is amplified for the audience just by the visual, you know, the facial expressions that Hux gives as that foil. Um, I think, I think more could have been done with Kylo in, in, uh, episode seven. I would have liked to have seen more of, and again, like very, very little how he got to where he is, um, insofar as, um, you know, I didn't need to know his whole backstory, but like, you know, what was he doing the the few years prior to this? Like, just a little like hint, a little bit of a breadcrumb of of you know a, a path leading to that. Outside of that, no, I I think Kylo was a really great antagonist, only because he was such an unknown. Like Darth Vader and the Emperor, you knew what they were going for. Kylo Ren, you didn't know. You didn't know if he was going to turn around sure. and just start like destroying everything. And, and to, to Matthew's, I overall think he works really well for the movie. A, a little bit to Matthew's point of uh, not filling in everything that you don't need to fill in. Uh, when he says the line to Han, uh, basically, I forget the exact line, but like basically, thank you for giving me the strength to do what I need to do or something like that. Like that, that's a good example of, okay, it's kind of vague and mysterious. And I don't really know, come to your point, Tim, what you're, what you're getting at, but like, are you saying that you're almost a spy for the light side? Are you saying that 
he give you the strength to fully turn to the dark side, which is the, impl- the immediate implication. Um, but I think it works. Yeah, I think uh, he is a wild card, I think, because he is, as much as he wants to, which a big part of his character arc throughout the whole series, is that he wants to be Vader. Like, he feels like that is his calling, his purpose. But just at the end of the day, he's not. And I think going back to his introduction, you know, when he's even though he's slaughtering all these people, he walks up to Lor Santeca, this old man, and this the old man's just giving him the sass. He's like, "No, I know you're not from the dark side. Yeah, I know who your family is. Like, I know all this about you." And just the way that pisses him off, um, and you see him talking to the helmet of Vader, um, and it you feel this like chip on his shoulder. Like, he wants to be Vader so bad, but he knows deep down that he's not, and that there's something holding him back. And I think that frustration, that rage, one, makes him stronger with the dark side, but it's not in the way of Vader and the Emperor. It's unhinged. And you also see that, I think, as far as just great character design, his lightsaber. I mean, not only does it look cool, but it's unstable, you know, and we've since we've seen cross guard lightsabers that have you know stable blades coming out the side. His is like a cross guard lightsaber, and you get the feeling it's not a cross guard lightsaber on purpose. That's a mistake. He couldn't contain uh, what he was trying to do with this saber, and so he needs these exhaust vents or something. Um, kind of just you know a reflection of who he is, unstable a wild card and very, very different from villains we've had before. Um, which I think oh. is nice. Yeah, no, his, his design in general is, is really cool. Uh, yeah, especially like his lightsaber is awesome. I, the, the, the mask is cool. And it's, it, it is a little bit of a weird moment when he initially took it off. Uh, but I think it, like once you get a little more into it, because Adam Driver is so good, really good in the role, <laughs> uh, that he that it works that you're seeing that he is just this angry teen, and yeah, there's a lot about his character that really works for me. I think. Um, Additionally, with with him as a character, and this is slightly going to contradict what I was saying. Um, like you get glimpses of. Um, Han and Leia saying like we failed him and you know them saying like no it wasn't us it was Snoke and and um, getting glimpses like that very quick image of of Luke's hand on R2 uh, like you knew something happened I didn't need to know what that was like that was enough for me to understand like okay like stuff went down um, I'm here for it uh, the the Knights of Ren um, you know in in Force Awakens hey he's got his posse. That's kind of cool. Vader didn't have a posse. Uh, the Emperor didn't have a posse like that. I thought that was something that was really cool. I didn't need that explained right away. Um, you know, for subsequent movies, I probably would have, you know, sitting in the movie at that moment was probably thinking, oh, yeah, but I know that I'll get more of that or they'll be developed more. But for the entry of the the new trilogy nope they're there and i'm okay with that and i don't need anything more than that and i think him having that posse also added to him as a unique villain i agree with all of that i think the issue is that uh, obviously we know, we don't get more of them ever i mean we they show up eventually and we get more of them like doing stuff but <laughs> who are Did they? they show up in rise of skywalker Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> and I still have not seen that, so I don't know. Yeah, they're in Rise of Skywalker, but who are they? We don't know. Mm. Apparently, oh. uh, do did the writers? I I don't know. They didn't show us. Uh, so so that them and Phasma are kind of the look cool, but you're you're not really going to get development. Uh, Phasma's a little series. Yes, yeah. Phasma's a little worse for reasons we'll get into in the next movie, but... Um, yeah, yeah, I was, I was kind of staying away from talking about Phasma only because I feel as though everything that could be said about Phasma should be said in the Episode 8 conversation. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll just say they, they wasted Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn Christie for the first time in this movie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the only... Yeah, I agree, though, Tim, that with 
with Kylo, I don't think I didn't need details about his backstory. Uh, I so what they did with Kylo with giving us glimpses of like Luke with uh his 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 hand on R two and just glimpses of presumably a Jedi being killed by Kylo. That they could have done stuff like that, but with the New Republic. I mean, obviously those are Force Vision. A lot of those are it's part of a Force Vision, so you can't. Maybe you do it exactly like that, but you could have something like that. Um, first, yeah, say like the the New Republic politics context. But yeah, uh, the the only thing with Kylo is with the he wants to emulate Vader. Point is he he does know what happened with Vader, right? And I I get that he was he, he's choosing to like look at like Darth Vader before he turned back, but. Like he does, they they never addressed that Vader did choose to turn back at the end, um, right? And you would assume that's something he would know. I don't know why, like Han and Leia wouldn't tell him that, you know, right, as like, a kid or whatever. Right, and if they didn't, Luke certainly would have uh, when he was training him. Right. Thoughts. You would, you would hope, but I think. Is there like a conscious omission from? I don't know. That's speculation. But it could be a conscious omission from Luke. I mean, it it uh it, it was certain all of this was certainly an unconscious omission from the writers uh, across. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'll say. Certainly in this movie, which for this movie again is fine. Um, that's what all I'll say on that for now. But uh, so one character we haven't talked about, and I feel as though we really should thoughts on BB-8. He is better than R two D two. Absolute perfection. Um, He's great. I, I I wouldn't agree with the better than R two, but I'm also not gonna die on. I'm also not prepared to die on that hill. Um, I. God. I just think that both um, fill the role of cute little robot sidekick, and I think BBH just does it better. I think he's cuter. I think he's more fun. And he's also a much more creative and interesting design, which you know I understand. The R2-D2 was made back in the 70s, but uh, that just goes to show with time comes progress and BBA is just, I, I love BBA to death. Right. It, it's the, some of the functionality and cool functionality of R2 with um, at least some of the marketing pot- potential of Grogu. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Um, not quite that he gets his own tier about as far as marketing potential goes but i think uh, the sound effects that bb8 makes are super adorable but oh they're great um the scene where bb8 and poe are reunited like that was just like oh like yeah he, he emotes a lot more than r2 as well they yes, do well with what they have with R2, but BB-8 is just a lot more expressive. I, one of the coolest, uh, like, oh, that's awesome moments in the movie is when he, when the Falcon's doing all its spins and he sticks himself, like, in midair by yeah. with his cables. That's really yeah. cool. And the little flame thumbs up. Yes. Oh, yeah. Everybody oh. loves this guy. Yeah. Uh, we didn't talk a ton about Oh, we can touch on. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, he doesn't do as much as. Yeah, he's the first character we meet. Yeah, it's true. Well, yeah, and and he meets a character that we think is supposed to be important and come back in some reference later. Uh, That was one thing that bothered me, again, that they did not explain is how Poe got off Jakku. They just, he, they crash land, Finn assumes he's dead, and then Poe just randomly shows up later on the Republic base. And it's like, oh, you're alive, and you're here. How? And we never know. I think there's a deleted scene, he gets a message to Leia. Oh, okay. Uh, but again, deleted scene, and I think they deleted it because they wanted Leia's big reveal to be later. Um Mm. But speaking of that, uh, we haven't really talked about the returning heroes either. Uh, we want to, I don't know if anybody has anything else to say on Poe. Uh, uh, just so that that didn't really, I didn't really mind that we don't get how he got, like how he returned. But yeah, 
they had if they had the scene, they could have if it was short enough, they could have added it. Well, I guess like you said, they, they didn't really want to use flashbacks. And, yeah, yeah, they wanted Leia to come later. Somehow, so. Oh Dameron returned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's boy. uh, we, we that's uh. That's that's a that's, that's going to be um, let's just say that will be the basis for probably at least fifty percent of our episode nine discussion. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I think just one thing on I think Poe he plays his role well. Ultimately, he doesn't have the biggest role in this movie, and he does he of the you know. Golden Trio, he probably gets the least development and definitely the yeah. least screen time in this movie. Um, fortunately, I do think they remedy that in the next one. Uh, but here he's just, I'm going to be a cool pilot with a cool ship and a cool droid. Um, and that's enough. Yeah. I, I was kind of fine with that as well. I think uh, the interactions that Finn and Poe have are really, really awesome, uh, both when they're uh, escaping at the very beginning. Like, you know, when, when Poe says, like, you need a pilot, and Finn's like, you need a pilot. And then, like, when when Poe says, we're going to do this. Like, that made me like, oh, yeah, we are going to do this. Um, like, that was just such a great scene. And then when Poe and Finn reunite, also when BB-8 and Poe reunite, um, but, like, just the two of them reuniting, like, that was also a really cool scene um, where a lot of of the character development happens just in a really frantic reunite, uh, you know, reunion. Oh, and yeah, it that... does work because even though they knew each other for all of, like, ten minutes, um, you can tell, like you were saying earlier, they bonded during those ten minutes. And um, the fact that, you know, they survived, you know, a harrowing event you're going to bond with someone like that. Like, so yeah, I love that moment too. Yeah. I mean, it, it like you were both, you would point, yeah, sorry, points you had both made earlier that, that, that escape in the jet star is great. It's a unique, it, it's both a unique type of action scene that also serves as really good character development and bonding for the two of them. And again, John Boyega has come, has like automatic, great chemistry with everybody in this movie. <laughs> it does, yeah. Like our first returning uh, cast member, if we want to go on to that, with Han. <laughs> so I, I'm going to start out less like a, a direct response to that. I, I will say I wasn't looking to get any of the original trilogy cast members returning. It wasn't something that was a necessity for me. Um, and honestly, I think the films would have been better off without them. I feel as though Disney as a franchise has, is kind of learned, Hey, we've over, overused these characters. Uh, but even with Force Awakens, um, like I felt as though their story was concluded. So I, I don't want to say annoyed, but I was like, why? Why muddy the waters in a story that felt complete? Like, I felt like Luke Skywalker would have been better off as a legend or maybe coming back as a force ghost or something like that. Um, I, I think them being there was fine, um, but I, I just I, I wasn't wanting that. Uh, there's, a, there's, a hot there's a hot take. Go ahead, Austin. Yeah, uh, sorry. Um just to push back on that a little bit, I think their presence in the film um, greatly strengthens Kylo's character um, very specifically because obviously Han and Leia are his parents and it's a driving force of his conflict. It, killing Han is obviously his final decision to, you know, he he's supposed to be conflicted through the entire film and this is his final decision. Okay, I'm going to kill my dad. Um, and I think that kind of translates to Luke, too, because uh, Ray from the very beginning, looks up to Luke. She's heard of Luke. I, I think they absolutely serve a purpose for the greater cast and plot as a whole. And I, I enjoy their inclusion. I don't think any of them were done significantly poorly, either. Yeah, I generally, at least in this movie, like how they're used. I think I think Han's work, Han works really well for this because he's not... He he doesn't have a ton of like he 
he's largely a fun vehicle for, to basically carry our heroes to different places in the plot, which works really well because he he doesn't. I think I think he works as a fun inclusion. That being said, I do agree, Tim, that there is a with in general with the Disney Star Wars stuff. There is an over reliance on origin on original trilogy nostalgia in particular. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. Um, but I think that they work in this movie. Certainly, like Han and Leia work for what they do in the movie. Oh I yeah, I, I definitely will agree. They they work like it's it's it wasn't a distraction. It wasn't uh, a deterrent. It didn't make me not enjoy the movie. I think my point was more along the lines of when I saw them in the trailer and I knew they were going to be in there. For me, it was like. Is that really the direction we needed to go? Because I mean, you okay? Like, yeah. Because I mean, you could have still had a Kylo Ren who looked up to Vader, and if anything, like that could have made him more compelling. Is like, all right, there's this guy who you know heard about Darth Vader from 80 years ago, and now history is repeating itself. And you know what got lost in in history? Um, It could have done it that way. I think you're right, Kylo being you know a, a Skywalker. Um, definitely makes him a better and more compelling character. Um, but yeah, I think just that initial reaction of like, again, not knowing what the plot was, not knowing what the full story was going to be, that was kind of where I, I initially reacted. Okay. No, that, that's fair. That's a fair, yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, while we're on the subject, um, I want to talk about Han. There is, I've seen online, I've seen people complain about Han in that um, this movie kind of completely undid his character arc in the original trilogy because he went back to being a smuggler um, after being, you know, a war hero. I really like this decision. This is one change that I actually kind of like because it's explained decently well. You know, he suddenly lost his son to a force that he had been fighting his whole life. Well, not his whole life, but you know what I mean? And of course, what's a man going to do? He's going to fall back on what he knows. And I actually think that's a very interesting development for his character. I I think that's very real to life. You know, any family that kind of crumbles, you know, you're going to have like a divorce happen and you're going to have those two divorcees kind of lean into what they know. So Leia buried herself into the resistance and, Han, or Han went back to smuggling. No, I agree 100%. And, and I've seen some of that criticism. I think people are looking at Han through rose-tinted glasses because, yeah, he was a war hero even in New Hope, but yeah. he's still um, a smuggler at heart even in um, you know, an, um, Empire Strikes Back because the first thing he does on Hoth is like, all right, I'm out of here. Which, yep. which is which is really funny because that you bring that up because when both Finn and Ray apparently agree with your differing interpretations because like, Han Solo, you mean the Rebellion general? No, the smuggler. Yeah, <laughs> uh, another great moment, but yeah, also a difference in how Han could be viewed. But yeah, I I think yeah he. Han 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 never wanted to be the hero. Yeah, he he was he was heroic at times, but he his core character he never he didn't want to be the hero. Anything else that anyone has on? I'm trying to think, if there's anything else we really haven't hit on. Okay. Do you have any thoughts on Han? I don't. I mean, I think it was his death wasn't a surprise. I didn't think Harrison Ford was going to let the which I did Han survive another but... movie. Yes. Um, but I, I mean, when they went out there, like, yeah, this is the end of Han. That was the least surprising thing. Um, but I think, you know, just a very good use. I think he was the perfect one to reintroduce this. Cause I, in some ways I feel like the expectations for his contribution would be low just for, you know, who Han is. If you try to use Luke more or even Leia more in this movie, to compel the characters forward, you're going to expect, you know, Jedi Master Luke to carry more of the load. You know, you'll expect Leia to do more. Um, Han is kind of the perfect, again, very similar reluctant hero 
very similar to where we found him in a new hope. Um, hundred percent. I like that point. You know, just a very oh. fun, uh, thing. Agreed. Yeah. I'm trying to think though, like if there were any plot points, like, you know, Maz's palace was like, it, it was a thing. It happened. It had, they, 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 they wanted the cantina. Scene. Yeah. Like it was, <laughs> yeah. it was very cool. It was an excuse <laughs> to show a lot of cool looking aliens. Um, the the scene with Maz and and Ray, you know, getting the lightsaber, um, you know that like it, it was it was a cool scene. It was a significant scene, but the fact that like none of us talked about that as like something we want to discuss until you know the end of of the the conversation, um, I'm kind of curious like why that wasn't as impactful or why, you know, none of us really kind of said that not for our personal reasons, but like dissecting the scene, like what could have been happening differently that could have made us be like, Oh, and Ray gets the lightsaber. I think it's, it's pretty, it's very exposition. Like it, you get a lot of cool information or, or foreshadowing or bits of information. See, I actually, I disagree with that. I almost feel from the Ray's force scene. It feels like, a lot of that isn't really followed up on. I mean, I guess oh. like Luke and R two is, but like the Knights of Ren until the sequel again. Until oh, Rise of Skywalker, and even then, yeah, um, like you don't see that. Um, like yeah, like a lot of it doesn't get followed up on in this movie. Um, which I feel like it kind of I don't want to say it feels like the purpose of the scene is to scare Rey away from the Force. To, like, kind of make her aware of the Force and uneasy about it. Um, which she will then, as she goes through her experiences on Starkiller Base, she'll begin to find this comfort in the Force uh, and get over that her initial apprehension. She, again, she has to... It, it does help her hit that refuse the call uh, <laughs> Joseph Campbell plot point. But, yeah, that's a, that, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think the scene, you know, I think Abrams, I think the, the, the writers wanted that scene to be more significant and accomplish more. Um, but, you know, you're, you're right. Like, you know, it could have been, hey, you know, be scared of the force. Oh, wait, no, I'm actually okay with the force after everything. Else. I don't know that that was conveyed as well as maybe, um, you know, you're, you're theorizing or maybe the writers had intended. Yeah, I mean, and part of it's that yeah, obviously they they didn't follow up on, <laughs> or how they followed up on those things is not as direct or satisfying. But satisfying is a very subjective. Opinion. And that's kind of what kind of make it hard to talk about that scene in any positive light is because I know what comes of all those visions, and a lot of it is very lackluster. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of ends up. It's hard to even talk about that scene it's just kind of there all right uh anyone have any final particular final thoughts on the force awakens um one little tiny controversial uh tidbit here um i'm not a huge fan of the tone of this movie it's very modern family adventure where like every tense action scene tends to be broken by a quick one-liner or some sort of gag. And there were multiple times in the movie where I wish it would just stay intense. Let me get engrossed and quit breaking that tension. Uh, any thoughts on that, guys? That's a good point. It's very Marvel-esque in that sense. Yes. N- not as a bad thing, but I but it could be if you're looking for yeah, a different and- type of tone. Yeah, I think a lot of characters kind of fill that role. Like, there's there's times where Han does it, you know, where they're like when the the whole resistance is freaking out about Starkiller Base, and he just goes, "Okay, how do we blow it up?" Um, you know, there's always a way to blow it up, which I do think somewhat redeems reusing like a yeah, Death it's, Star. It's a good line. Han, yeah, we'll just blow it up again. Uh, I, you know, it, it's Han, it's BB-8, it's Finn at times, um, it's Poe. And C3PO, like everybody kind of takes their turn being the comic relief. Um, but that is a, that is a good point that 
and, and that's not something that really I noticed. I, I definitely think it was, you know, more the family friendly. I will agree, like, yeah, you could only have an action sequence or a tense sequence go so far before um it was broken. Now, uh like the the witty one liners, that was part of it. Um there were other things that kind of broke things up as well. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, at Maz's palace, like, all right, so Ray's off in the forest by herself, and like there's this really intense building moment, and then it's just like, oh wait, the call of the battle, and she goes away. So I I I don't disagree that there were a lot of witty one-liners that broke up things. I think other things also did, but I do agree with that assessment that, like, yeah, things weren't were never getting as tense or as climactic as maybe the audience or the story um, wanted them to. Because um, I think the story probably would have been better served with some more moments of that. Yeah, I generally agree. Don't have too much to add to that, but yeah. Yeah, to me, that is the most frustrating thing about the film. Uh, I like, I like this film. It is good. Um, and part of me is like, is it really a fair criticism or if I'm, or am I just tired of that tone? Because, you know, every Marvel movie is like that. A lot of family adventure movies are like that. So am I just sick of it or is it an actual criticism? Um, sounds like you all agree. So maybe, maybe I'm onto something, but. Well, that sounds like concludes. Our discussion on Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. We will be following this up with a discussion on what I I would pretty safely claim as the most controversial Star Wars movie uh, in terms of how divided uh, people are on it. <laughs> yep. Yes. I, I, I think... The lovers and haters of that movie yes. would agree with you. Uh, um, and it'll be yeah. interesting to see where everyone falls take. and you know, what camps get established and, and what hills people are willing to die on. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> At this point, we, we just need a debate moderator. <laughs> <laughs> Oxford-style debate, two minutes ago. I'm, I'm kind of middle of the road in that movie. I kind of consider it a five out of ten. So, I'm like the one person. All right, well, we found our moderator. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, until then, uh, this has been our episode discussing the Star Wars episode 7, The Force Awakens. Uh, And with me is Tim, Matthew. uh, I'm sorry, I'm Johnny. I'm with me is Tim. Austin and Matthew, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.